Amen. All righty. Hey, how many guys have ever wished you could go to space besides Brian? All right, a couple other guys from space. Wouldn't it be cool? And wouldn't it be awesome if you ever remember the space shuttle program when that was in existence? Anybody ever wish, man, wouldn't it be cool if you could hitch a ride somehow? Right? Be the guy that brings the oranges and just maybe stick around a little longer or something. But anyway, that's right. Well, believe it or not, folks, uh, all I got to say is if you ever get a chance to go on the space shuttle, don't let John Gibson drive. It ain't going to turn out too good. Watch. Ruth, you blew up the planet. You know what I'm saying? I mean, forget John's, uh, Don's Jeeps. You get another one, by the way, Don? Did you learn your lesson? Okay, but anyway, seriously, folks, how many guys would say that, man, you just woke up today and you said, man, I just wish, I hope today is the day that a meteorite smashes into the earth. Isn't that something to look forward to, something to do? You know, it deals with the, you know, it's a distraction from all the community and stuff. No, right? We don't like meteor impacts and asteroid impacts, right? Why? Because they're... Scary, right? Absolutely. That's crazy stuff, okay? Yeah, here's the irony. Once again, most people today are more afraid of a meteorite falling out of the sky than having to deal with what's going to happen when they die, right? More people are more concerned about a fiery flame falling from above than being cast into a fiery flame down below. More scared of that, okay? And the reason why is because there's no fear of God before their eyes. And yet Jesus, what he said, I didn't say it, Jesus did. He said, hey, you need to be afraid of all right, but just not of man. You need to be afraid of God. Why? Because God alone at the moment of death has the power to take you straight into heaven through the cross of Christ, or if you reject him, throw you straight into hell. And how many guys would say, as bad as it was, blowing the planet up, that's worse than hitching a ride with John on the space shuttle, right, Joey? I think it's pretty clear, okay? And that's why we're going to, one more time, that's right, uh, we're going to conclude, there's another word, twice in one week, conclude in our study the witness of creation. And what we're doing is taking a look at all the different evidences, at least the ones that I've come across, that God's left behind for us to show us he's not just real. We really can have a beautiful, loving, intimate, personal relationship with him 
before it's too late. We've already seen that first evidence he left behind for us, and that was the evidence of an intelligent creation or intelligent design. The second one was the evidence of a young creation or a young earth. We have not been here for millions and billions of years. The third evidence was the evidence of a special creation. Uh, we came from the hand of God for a special relationship with him. Much better news than the law of evolution. Okay, the fourth evidence was the evidence of a judge creation, or in the days of Noah, God judges planet once in the days of Noah, he's going to do it again, you might want to pay attention. Okay, and then the last seven times was the fifth and final evidence, the evidence of a fearful creation, or the truth about dinosaurs. And once again, shocker, we've been lied to about evolution, period, and certainly their lying version of dinosaurs too. Okay, it's a big lie. And what we saw last time is that dinosaurs, believe it or not, really are still alive today. Granted, not a bunch of them but still alive. Why? Because the Bible presupposes that they not only got on the ark with Noah, they got off the ark, even to the point where God would look at people like Job and say, hey, look at a dinosaur. Behold, behemoth, right? And we saw, folks, that guess what? There are still a few around on the planet, not a whole bunch of them. And we saw that with the proof of water-dwelling dinosaurs, land-dwelling dinosaurs, and air-dwelling dinosaurs uh, as well, okay? There's still around a few of them, okay? Uh, but people don't think to call them dinosaurs, or as we're going to see again tonight, they're covering this up because they can't have dinosaurs still alive on the planet. Not even one, because that blows the theory out of the water and it falls like a house of cards, okay? But you might be like Joey sitting on the front row, right, Joey? Right, exactly. And you might be thinking, well, Pastor Billy, I mean, this is, uh, this is wild, okay? This whole dinosaur thing, right? And, I, and, I, and it's not that I don't believe because the facts tell the truth, right? And, and, you know, the Bible presupposes that, that God created dinosaurs and with man, they lived together and all this stuff, and, and there might still be some alive today. We saw the proof for that. It's just amazing. It's mind-blowing. But it's not that I doubt that or anything, but it's just such a wild concept because this is completely contrary to the whole school system, the whole media system, everything. Do we have any concrete, conclusive evidence that man really did walk with dinosaurs even in recent times? I'm sure you said all that, right, Joey? over and over all day today it just worked well with my notes okay well believe it or not folks we do and that's what we're going to conclude with absolute concrete evidence that man and dinosaurs walk together get this this is cool wait till you see some of the evidence they walk together they live together some cases it shows man riding on dinosaurs sometimes fighting with dinosaurs very interesting our history we have been so lied to folks it's unbelievable. But once again, let's start where it all began. Let's go back and see if even what I just shared out of my mouth, man coexisting, fighting, even riding on a dinosaur, is really obtuse. Is that an obtuse statement? Right? Is that contrary to the Bible? As wild as that claim is? No. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. All right? If you find the first page of the Bible, what do you do? Stay there. Unless you have large print Bible. You might be on page 3 or 4, depending on the size. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 through 31. Let's take a look at who made the dinosaurs. Who made man? When did it all occur? Did they really coexist? Well, let's see what God has to say about that. Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 4, says this, And God said, who said? God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock, creatures that move along the ground. Did dinosaurs move along the ground? Yeah, okay. And, and wild animals, uh, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures, how many creatures? All of them, does that include dinosaurs? Yeah, all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us, who's us? Elohim in the Hebrews, plural. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity right there in Genesis chapter 1. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So mankind was given dominion by God to rule over all the creatures. At some point, man is going to rule over... Would that include the dinosaurs? So if you saw a man riding a dinosaur, would that be freaky according to this? No. He had dominion over all the creatures, okay? So God created man, okay, in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. So God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living uh, creature that moves along the ground. So they subdue it, they rule over it, etc. And that includes the dinosaurs. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant, on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, and they're going to be yours for what? Food to man, but not only to man, but also to animals. And to the beasts of the earth and the birds of the air and to all the creatures, how many of them? All the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the what? The sixth day. How many times, even as Christians, have we read that passage and just blew right by it? But it presupposes some pretty amazing things. The Bible says that God not only created man on day six, but he created all the land animals on day six as well, with the birds and things of that nature. So guess what that would logically therefore include? Dinosaurs. So I'm not making this up. It's right here. It's common sense. This would include, according to the Bible, that God created man and dinosaurs at the same time. They coexisted together. Man had dominion over them. Man was given charge to rule over them, and they uh, dwelt in a, a, a coexistence, apparently peaceful. And at that time, man and the animals, including the dinosaurs, were vegetarian, right? So they worked together. Right? That's what the Bible says, okay? Now, for those of you who think that that's just too wild of a statement, the man and dinosaurs really did live together, uh, even in recent times, not just before the flood, but even afterwards. That's the evidence we're going to look at tonight. Believe it or not, folks, this is some of the stuff that they are desperately. Remember the Indiana Jones scene when they cart stuff away in the warehouse? This is the stuff that they're keeping from you and I, but it agrees with the biblical account and the presupposition that God would say, okay? And the first concrete evidence that man really did walk with dinosaurs, even in recent times, is the artwork that we find depicting that very thing, the artwork that we find, okay? You see, you would think if man really did, even in recent times, exist with these creatures, i.e. dinosaurs, okay? You'd think that somebody somewhere, some culture would draw them somewhere, right? I mean, we got pets at home, and as a kid, you draw a cat, Sparky, and you know, little Chucky the wiener dog, right? I mean, you'd think somebody in history, if you existed with a dinosaur, would draw it, right? Well, guess what? We find them all over the world, okay, in the art. Let's take a look at some of that evidence. The Carlisle Cathedral was founded in the 12th century in England. It served as a meeting place for about 900 years. And one of the bishops there in the 15th century was a guy named Richard Bell. He served in this position for 17 years, resigned in 1495, died a year later. His body was then laid to rest in the tomb along the main aisle inside the cathedral. And it was inlaid with brass, okay? Now, it's currently covered, his tomb thing, it's covered there by a protective rug. I wonder why they covered it up. But, uh, it's, and they say, well, it's to preserve the brass engravings. Well, but just a few years ago, somebody removed that rug, and guess what they found? Something interesting appeared on the gravings in this cathedral. The bra brass shows not only Bishop Richard Bell, you can see a picture of it there, under a Gothic uh, canopy dressed in his vestments, 
uh, his bishop's cap, hook staff, etc. But it also shows some animals right there covered with a rug the whole time. Let me zoom in on some of this stuff. There's various depictions of fish, eel, there's a dog, there's a pig, there's a bird, and there's two interesting animals with long necks and tails that resemble sauropod dinosaurs. Okay, uh, they're now called Bishop Bell's Brass Behemoths. You know, it's in the cathedral, the Bible says Behemoth, right? Uh, behemoths, and clearly suggests at least some of these creatures were still alive during the Middle Ages. I mean, this isn't. I mean, this is a clear depiction. How did he know? If we recently didn't know what those things look like, how did they know how to draw them so accurately back then? Unless, of course, you saw one and you coexisted with them. Here's a Roman mosaic about 200 A.D. Okay, the Romans had there, that many believe uh, depicts two long-necked sea dinosaurs. If you know your dinosaurs, uh, many believe that this is referring to the long-necked uh, dinosaur called the Tanistrophius. Okay, and they had this depicted on a mosaic, uh, 200 AD. Here's a photo of uh, a dinosaur petroglyph in the Wupatki National Park. Uh, they call this one Puff the Magic Dragon. Okay, and the reason why is because when you zoom in on this petroglyph, uh, it appears to be a fire-breathing dinosaur. Just right there walking around nature, isn't that when I was resolved before? That is not without the realm of possibility, even that. And again, that's what the Bible mentions with Leviathan, okay? Uh, it's believed to be several hundred years old, but how could they draw that, even draw a fire coming out? Well, you know, because they, they didn't have children's book then. They, they've never been to the university, these Indians. And how do they d d uh, draw it so accurately? Okay, another one has been found in Arizona's uh, Havasupai Canyon. And what's interesting is if you compare it this petroglyph with what we now know of the dinosaur called the Edmontosaurus, here's the side-by-side -side one. Gee, what's that look like? The resemblance, as one guy said, is striking. Okay, but that's the tip of the iceberg. They find dinosaur artwork all over the world, like this guy shows. Let's take a look. Travel with me to Utah. This is near the Four Corners area, near Blanding, Utah, under the arches at the Natural Bridges National Monument. And here, uh, Dr. Swift down there, who was working with me, is pointing up where the era is to uh, a protected area where the Anasazi Indians uh, did their petroglyphs about a thousand years ago, according to the park rangers. And you climb up there on that little ledge and look at that, and you see a number of the petroglyphs. It's covered with heavy desert varnish so that it's difficult to photograph. But right over my head, you see the Anasazi warrior and then the snakes. But then right beside me, if we highlight the significant area, you can see the dinosaur, which even uh, the secular archaeologists have acknowledged sure looks like a dinosaur and covered with the varnish so that the antiquity is, is really not questioned. We go not too far from there, but over in the Colorado, we see the three-horned dinosaur with the frill on its back looks more like a triceratops than the people uh, look like people this is uh, done by the Fremont Indians who were contemporary with the Anasazi it's interesting if you go to uh, certain places in the world you see lots of other evidence that man and the dinosaurs apparently lived together there's a certain cave in Europe which has got a painting on it. Now, because that's a bit faint there, a bit hard to see, we've reproduced the picture with a yellow outline. And what did I say to schools and, and churches? If you saw that painted on the side of a cave, what conclusion would you come to? You'd have to come to the conclusion that whoever drew that picture had seen a creature that looked like that 
which looks like a little bit like some kind of long-necked dinosaur, doesn't it? Now, I don't believe that the person who drew that picture did so by copying a photograph of a, of a drawing out of Encyclopedia Britannica. I think that that person actually lived alongside that creature and was familiar with it. Let me give you some other interesting evidence, really interesting. Because you see, as people travelled out from the time of the Tower of Babel when God split up languages and so on, they often drew pictures of the animals that lived in their area. We see that in caves, in different places in the world. In, in a canyon called Black Dragon Canyon, you find this picture. It's of a winged creature. It looks like it has a sort of a bump on its head, a crest on its head, and it looks like it has webbed feet. And it's a big flying creature in Black Dragon Canyon. Uh, a close-up will show you it's got a crest on its head, it's got webbed feet, and in fact, we had our artist draw a picture of it and, and uh, compare it to, say, a bird with feathers. Now, when the Indians drew this picture, they didn't put feathers on it. It doesn't have feathers. It's got webbed feet, got a crest on its head. Do you know what is fascinating about that particular canyon in Utah? I'll tell you what's fascinating. They find fossil bones of pterodactyls in that canyon. You know what I believe? You might think I'm crazy, but I believe this. I think the Indians saw those bones flying. In other words, I think they saw those creatures. I don't believe they're millions of years old. But here's evidence that's consistent with it that the general public doesn't get to hear about, which is really, really sad. Yeah, really, really sad is the point, okay? Uh, makes you wonder why they won't uh, have that on the History Channel. Have you guys seen that lately on the History Channel? You ever seen it on the History Channel? Why don't you show stuff like that? You think people would be interested in it? It's part of our history, even here in America. Why would you cover that up? But one of the most obvious depictions of the dinosaur living with the man and this is a recent finding. I don't know how you get around this one, okay? And apparently what they do is they just keep it from you, okay? And this is what they found recently deep in the jungles of Cambodia. Not only do we find on the reliefs there of this ancient temple, depictions of monkeys, deers, water buffalo, parrots, lizards, you know, ones that we say, oh yeah, they're still in existence today. But they oddly, right smack dab in the middle, they found a perfect depiction of a stegosaurus. A stegosaurus. Watch this. Year before last, we traveled to Cambodia following evidence that had been forwarded to us by one of the tour guides there who had seen our website. And we had done some research and confirmed a good bit of what he was telling us. In the upper part of Cambodia, we see the ancient Khmer Empire had built just spectacular temples, maybe the largest and most beautiful in the world. And one of the greatest monument builders was J. Vardaman VII. He's almost idolized. This is a picture that I took there in Phnom Penh uh, of the Buddha-like pose. He began to rule in 1181 and built to prom and uh, dedicated it in 1186. This was dedicated to his mother. It was a Buddhist monastery. And so we know who and when and all the specifics. Well, on the stone in this temple, a very beautiful, picturesque place, you see carvings, and they're stone carvings that cover just about every square inch of it. But just inside the front entrance, in the corner here that the arrow points to, you can see a series of animals from the jungle, and notice in the series there is a perfect stegosaurus in a temple from over 800 years ago. And we're supposed to have known what dinosaurs looked like for about 150, and then they've been gone 65 million. I believe there's something wrong with that story. 
many guys would say that's the understatement of the year? <laughs> Something wrong with that story. How do they know to draw them perfectly like that? And on temples and petroglyphs and stuff, if we didn't know about them until uh, recently, okay, it's all over the artwork, folks. Just like the Bible presupposes, Genesis chapter 1, man coexisted. And we see that not only before, but a few still even after the flood, and that's what we find in the artwork. But that's not all the second conclusive concrete evidence, I would say, man really did walk with dinosaurs, even in recent times, is not just the artwork, but the stonework. Okay, the stonework, okay? Uh, one of the recent uh, uh, discoveries, and they've tried to really downplay these. I don't know if you've heard of them. They've been out for a little while now, uh, but the community is trying to keep a hush on them. They're called the Ica Stones, okay, of Ica, Peru, okay? And uh, what we're going to see, folks, is they clearly show that, listen, as I stated at the beginning, not only man and dinosaurs coexisted together, uh, but in some cases, they were fighting each other. Sometimes the dinosaurs win, sometimes the uh, men win. Uh, in some cases, men were riding on them, okay? And this is in their artwork on these stones, okay? Let's take a look at that evidence. But this is what I thought was uh, interesting. Uh, it all started with the overflowing of the Ica River at one time. Uh, and the stones were uh, brought uh, to light in the first half of the 20th century. And as a result of this flood, okay, they've been there buried in the dirt all this time from that community, but God caused the flood to come, exposed a cave, okay, and that's when the discovery uh, began to take place. In this cave contained thousands of stones with ancient drawings on them, and they clearly depicted man living with dinosaurs, as this video shows. Take a look to what is on these stones. They're just as good as you would find in even kids' caricatures of dinosaurs today. Let's take a look. We travel down to Peru, and uh, this is Dr. Javier Cabrera, who was 20 years head of the Department of Medicine at the University of Lima, retired to be cultural anthropologist in Inca, ancestor of the Conquistadors, has a big 300-year-old castle there on the town square, and has a collection of Inca burial stones that uh, begun to be made by his father back in the 30s. He's continued that collection. These are stones that are buried with the, in the tombs with the, the Incas, and they have scenes carved over them, most of them. He has a collection now of over 11,000 of these burial stones. About a third of them are the most disgusting pornography you've ever seen but about a third of them have dinosaurs on them. Here is one in place in the tomb, but looking at a close-up of these stones, you can see the rather artistic rendition of the dinosaur. Interestingly, this one has the dermal frills on its back when Mr. Sinclair did his sign with the dinosaur. He didn't know that it had frills on its back, but they did it right. This was written up in Geology Magazine in 1992 for the first time when we found them well preserved. But there are thousands of these stones. This is one of the larger ones. Again, rather artistically rendered. Looking at a close-up, you can see the dinosaur in the upper right-hand corner with the man foot in his mouth. All shapes and sizes and types of stones and uh, styles uh, of rendering certainly not done by the same individual. Uh, some of them are almost oriental looking and some of them rather literal looking. Uh, here's one with a number of different species on it, but thousands of them. We have a number of others who have collected as well. We have a collection at the Aeronautical Museum in Lima. There were hundreds here. There are 40 that are left. They've been raided. 
uh, I think sold maybe <laughs> illegally. But you can still see the stones, some of the ones that are not as elaborate and beautiful as in the Cabrera collection, but obviously recognizable. Still in the National Aeronautical Museum, there's also a display in the Naval Museum and at least two other museums that I know of in, in Peru. Some of them uh, are still being excavated. This was one that was excavated in 2006 that is in the artifact room. It has two dinosaurs on it. Slightly different type stone from Cabrera's, raised instead of incised, but still the same general picture. Also in the tombs you find burial cloths with the same kind of motif there. Uh, obviously, uh, the big claws and the teeth representing dinosaurs. You see it on their pottery. That's relatively easy to date. These are dated at about 2,500 years ago. Uh, these are the Moshi pots, and the style is well known and documented and represented in the National Museums. This one's in the National Museum in Lima. It says circa 2,500 years ago. Up in northern Peru, you have a good deal of gold in some of the, the ruins and tombs. This is a death mask, but look on either side of the face. <clears throat> Again, the dermal frills across the back, the tail curling up over and the huge teeth. These people were seeing dinosaurs 2,000, 3,000 years ago. Now, we're told that we've known what dinosaurs look like for maybe, well, the first ones found in 1820, we didn't know what they looked like very well. The restorations were silly. Uh, after the turn of the century, early 1900s, we got a fair idea and really not an excellent idea. And, well, 1992, we learned the Brontosaurus type had frills on its back. Uh, <clears throat> these people didn't show a gradation in learning. They got it right, right from the start. So how could they get it? right, right from the start. And that's a very important point that he brings up. We didn't know until 1992 that the Brachiosaurus sauropods often had those, what's, you know, the triangle, that's called the dermal ridge there. And we didn't know that until 1992, but with these people, when they depicted them in their artwork, they had it right from the start. How'd you do that? Unless, of course, logically what? You saw them with your own eyes, still alive, around, okay? Now, it's not just interesting they got it right from the start. It's almost like the impression is, well, gee whiz, guess what? Just like Genesis chapter 1 presupposes throughout the scripture, man and dinosaurs live together. But that's not all, okay? Surely you would think then the evolutionists are eager to check this out, right? Because that's what science is, right? Granted, you come across something that maybe you don't, didn't know before or maybe even might disagree with your theory. But isn't that what science is supposed to be? You're supposed to check it out and examine it and then adjust accordingly? Well, folks, get this. I'm not, what I'm going to show you is these guys know about this information, but the evolutionists refuse to even look at it. That's not science. That's a cover-up. Let's take a look at that. While the level of technology recorded on the stones has stirred much controversy, vivid portrayals of dinosaurs are even more disturbing. Many of the stones accurately depict Brontosaurus, Stegosaurus, Tyrannosaurus rex, and flying pterodactyls. How can this be? According to Dr. Cabrera, these ancient scientists knew how to kill the giant reptiles. Dinosaurs had two major nerve centers, the brain and the pelvic ganglion. If either were disabled, the giant could be brought down. 
Images on the ecostone show men attacking one or the other nerve center with hand axes. From a geologist's point of view, there is a, at least a 60 million year gap in history between uh, the demise of the dinosaurs and the appearance of man, or at least Homo sapiens sapiens as we know it. So it would be an enormous review, a revolution in scientific thinking um, to postulate that they might have coexisted. For years, Dr. Cabrera has extended an open invitation to the scientific community in the hopes that the ecostones would be validated. Many scientists are aware of the ecostones, but most refuse to investigate them. Say what? So here is a guy who makes the great discovery. It's been around literally for decades. And for decades, he's got an open door policy. He's inviting the world scientists, come and please check this out. You can call me a wacko. But what they say? They refuse to look at it. I wonder why. Okay. What would happen if they were to leak this out? What would that do to the theory of evolution? Not just their version of dinosaurs. What would, like the lady admitted, that's a tremendous gap filler. 60 million years. Oops. Wash that baby out, the whole thing falls flat on its face. That's why they refuse to look at it. But that's not one more to go. We got the third conclusive evidence, and that is dinosaur clay work. We saw that it's evidence on their artwork. It's evidence we just saw on their stonework, but in their clay work as well. And I'm talking about the pottery. I'm talking about the figurines. And I don't have time to share with you guys all the stuff that I uh, had initially come across in my research uh, all the pots, the plates, the candle holders, the paraphernalia, all the things that we see that people have, uh, have put together with clay work. And they clearly depict that man and dinosaurs coexisted at one time. But I'm just going to show you one example. I'd say it's one of the most powerful ones. And again, now this is the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. And it's called the Acambaro uh, uh, figurines, okay? And what you're about to see, folks, is man, <laughs> once again, was not just walking with dinosaurs, living with dinosaurs, but riding with dinosaurs and fighting the dinosaurs. It's clearly in these figurines. How did they know how to make accurate figurines of dinosaurs that we've just recently been able to reconstruct? Okay, let's take a look at that. In Mexico, we've made a number of trips there in central highlands near Acambro in the city, uh, state of Guanajuato. Dr. Swift and I have been down there a number of times investigating. It took that many times to get through all the bureaucracy. When we got there, they were being hidden in the back of the police department. But it was a collection made by uh, Waldemar Yultrud back in the early 1900s of some 30,000 ceramic figurines, about 10% of which are of dinosaurs, but a wide range of animals and creatures. Some of the brontosaurus type were standing up. We didn't know that until recently. Bacher's book, Dinosaur Heresies, published in 86, was really the first one who suggested that. And then, of course, Spielberg convinced us all they stood up. But this is exactly the way they're rendered by the artist. And these date to well before the time of Christ uh, from several sources. Uh, again, there are thousands of them. And the styles indicate far more than one artist. Uh, one of the professors from the University of Texas at Arlington, who is an art professor, said there were at least 100 different artists represented in the collection uh, would be his estimate. This is my wife's favorite. Uh, obviously, if you've got one that looks like a dinosaur, a man did it, but sewing them together <laughs> is interesting. Man and dinosaur obviously live together. The, 
you pick up any of the dinosaur books today, and how does it start out? Millions and millions of years ago. And then the second paragraph says, no man ever saw a dinosaur. And that's just like you can't write a dinosaur book unless you start that way. It ain't so. Now, this is what uh, we thought dinosaurs looked like way back in about 1850. This is supposed to be a picture of an iguanodon, one of the earliest dinosaurs that were excavated. Well, that's not very close, but that's what we thought in 1850. By the turn of the century, this was 1895, we had him depicted differently, kind of a stand-up alligator with a long tail dragging the floor. Not very accurate, but closer. But now then we know that iguanodon looked like this. This is a restoration from uh, the year 2000. So now we've got a pretty good idea. Notice the almost horse-like head and the, the tail that sticks out right. The ossified tendons along the tail show that it was uh, stood out right like a bird. Uh, if it drooped to the ground, that meant it was broken. But notice how the people in Acomboro, uh depicted this over 3,000 years ago just almost identical to what we now have finally learned. This is the way they looked when we first started in the 1800s, 1900s, but now then we know it looks like this, and the folks in Acombro got it right 3,000 years ago, as they did with the, the stand-up sauropods. Another figurine appears uh, to look just like the ankylosaur that we see depicted here. <laughs> very, very similar. Uh, there's a wide range. I suppose sauropods are the most popular, but 2,600 of these that I've examined, I have 20,000 digital image, images that I personally took of this collection. We've examined it carefully. Here, flying pterosaur. Man with dinosaur. How do you... <laughs> avoid the conclusion. Many of them are seen fighting. Sometimes the man's getting the best of the fight and sometimes the dinosaur, and usually with smaller ones, uh, we would assume more juvenile forms. Here the, the dinosaur is getting the best of him. Uh, many times with the, the juvenile forms, as you can see, some of them still uh, showing uh, some ferocity even as juveniles. But uh, the depiction of them fighting together here, the dinosaur getting the best and here the man getting the best shows the kind of conflict that very likely was going on at this time. Here's one with a spear in his neck, but uh, very closely resembling uh, our modern knowledge of what dinosaurs look like. We went back to the house that the police chief owned uh, under which Earl Stanley Gardner had uh, excavated 43 pieces of Yule's Rudd type material and found that it had been covered with modern brick now in modern times, and that was somewhat disappointed. We wanted to see the adobe brick. We did look across the street, and sure enough, there it had not been covered by modern brick. The adobe brick was still obvious, and as we looked carefully here, uh, Professor Collins is looking closely at those brick, and you can see, yes, as Earl Stanley Gardner said, they are studied with the pottery pieces from the Chipicoro culture, and that's obvious. And as we look carefully at one of the bricks, this is directly across the street from the house of the police chief, where Earl Stanley Gardner investigated. In one of those bricks, lo and behold, there's a dinosaur sticking his face out. And if you listen very carefully, you can hear him say, na 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 <laughs> Just 
making a mockery of the idea that man and humans have to be millions of years apart. You guys want to go ahead and try that? <laughs> Isn't that wild? Oh, by the way, that discovery, he said, has been sitting there for decades and decades, tucked away in the back room of a police station. In boxes, hidden away. Makes you wonder what else is out there that has yet to be discovered. And how many years, if you pay attention, how many years did he have to be persistent to go through all the bureaucracy just to get there to check it out, just to expose this? What else is out there that's being covered up, okay? But he goes on to say that they find, guess what they also find in that area? Not just these figurines showing complete dinosaurs, different types of dinosaurs. Guess what kind of skeletal remains? Dinosaur remains, okay? Then when he's trying to uh, verify them, he goes on to say uh, that uh, once the authorities found out that he was going to start revealing that, guess what they did? Bye-bye. Get out of here. Folks, that's not science, okay? That's a cover-up. And that's just one example, and what else, again, is out there that you are covering this stuff up. Now, I'm finally going to show you that this is even admitted in their own camp, okay? You need to realize that it's not just Christians out there saying, you guys, it's a conspiracy theory, right? Uh, no, they even admit in their own camp. If you find something that is contrary to the established evolutionary mindset, you will not get published, and oftentimes you will lose your job. Here's just two examples of evolutionists who lost their careers over finding something that disagreed. Watch this. Sometimes artifacts are found that break all the rules. Archaeologists call them anomalous artifacts. What happens when we find a modern human skull and rock strata far beneath even the oldest of man's ancestors? In their controversial book, Forbidden Archaeology, Michael Cremo and Dr. Richard Thompson have documented hundreds of these anomalous artifacts which have yet to be explained. This bizarre evidence seems to have been well documented, yet the general public and many within the scientific community are unaware of these controversial finds. The question is, why haven't we heard of these discoveries before? Oh, I think we're talking about a massive cover-up. Uh, as I said, over the past 150 years, uh, these archaeologists and anthropologists have covered up as much evidence as they've dug up, literally. Basically, what you find is uh, something we call a knowledge filter. This is a fundamental feature of science. It's also a fundamental feature of human nature. People tend to filter out things that don't fit, that don't make sense in terms of their paradigm or their way of thinking. So in science, you find that evidence that doesn't fit the accepted paradigm tends to be eliminated. It's not taught, it's not discussed, and people who are educated in, in scientific teachings generally don't even learn about it. According to geologist Virginia Steen McIntyre, she was silenced at the height of her career because of her determination to report the facts. I was rather naive. I thought, okay, we've got something big here, but I'm just going to stick with the date. We've got the information, we've got the facts, let's get the facts out and go on from there. And I didn't realize it was going to ruin my whole career. According to Dr. McIntyre, because she stuck to the facts, all of her professional opportunities were closed off. She's not worked in her chosen field since. The site was closed and permission for further investigation was denied forever. I ran across one scientist, a European scientist, who was working in the area at the same time. He was a young uh, uh, geologist as I was. 
And um, he was, I think, probably working on his degree. And he came up to me and said, Ginger, I believe that the dates are, as you say, they are as old as you say, but my professor will not let me say this. And uh, I understood his position and uh, realized that he would have to um, lie, essentially, about, about his information in order to keep a job. This man uh, uh, published the lie and was accepted and is now a professor in one of the European universities. I published the truth, I w it wasn't accepted, and now I'm doing flowers. While excavating a ravine near Puebla, Mexico, the late archaeologist Juan Armenta made a parallel discovery. He found a broken spear point embedded in the jawbone of a prehistoric animal. At the time I was very young. Reporters were coming from all over the world to investigate my father's discovery. It was considered very important, not only for the town of Puebla, but for the whole country. But as soon as the first stories were published in Life, Time, and National Geographic magazines, the authorities claimed it was impossible that the artifacts could be so ancient. So they set out to discredit my father, and everything changed. It wasn't only that they questioned his honor. They forbid him to go to the site of the discovery and denied him the right to continue working in his field. They even went to the site with guns and tried to make the workers sign papers saying they planted the artifacts. But out of 60 men, only three of them signed the false confessions. It was very sad for my father, and I think it was the death of a very bright scientist. Some people think that you can just publish this information, this uh, uh, information that's controversial, in a scientific publication, and then everyone would know about it and we'd go on from there. But that's not how it works. It's like a closed system. Um, you can't publish unless you're part of a university or a research stamp establishment because the um, magazines, uh, scientific magazines, won't accept your stuff. But you can't be part of the research establishment if you're something so controversial that they might get a little hassle from some of their alumni or uh, might get some bad publicity. And so you're outside the system. You might want to get the information out, um, but you're not going to do it. Did you catch what she said? Right? It's a closed system. I've actually had people online say, well, Pastor Billy, that's a pretty interesting information you've come across, and you know, I, I like to see your, you know, your evidence and cite your sources. Okay, fine, do whatever. Okay, well, that's kind of interesting and all, but uh, you know, I really can't take this serious until you know, I can see that this has been accepted into a peer review or scientific journal. <laughs> yeah, fat chance, right? But see, that's the setup, right? It's somehow it's not legitimate unless it goes into a peer review, a scientific journal. But what did she, even an evolutionist in her own camp, say? What are the odds of you ever getting anything that's going to disagree there? And somehow that disqualifies. It's a closed system. It's not an open system, and that's not science. Okay? It's a cover-up. Okay? And folks, I'm telling you, once again, once you realize that this topic of dinosaurs and our whole creation study, uh, it's not just a difference of world opinions. Like, aha, you Christians are trying to prove your point on this worldview. No. What's really going on is this is spiritual warfare. Okay, it's not just a worldview issue, it's a spiritual warfare issue. Okay, there really is a spiritual entity out there that is blinding the minds of people who will not come to the logical conclusion. Okay, because we've been seeing in our study why is God left behind this witness of creation? He loves his creation, he wants mankind to come to the knowledge that God exists and that Jesus is real. And you read that in the Bible, which can be trusted through and through so that they can get saved.
Evolution has come along. It's a lie. Who's the father of all lies? Satan. And he's using evolution to draw people away from God to get them to come to the wrong conclusion that there is no God, there is no afterlife, there is no hope. You might as well just party it up and die, right? But God has given us all this witness of creation to reverse people's thinking before it's too late. Kind of like this video we've seen before. We'll, we'll close in prayer after this. I will live my life according to these beliefs. God does not exist. It's just foolish to think that there is an all-knowing God with a cosmic plan. That an all-powerful God brings purpose to the pain and suffering in the world is a comforting thought. However, it is only wishful thinking. People can do as they please without eternal consequences. The idea that I am deserving of hell because of sin is a lie meant to make me a slave to those in power. The more you have, the happier you will be. Our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. In a world with no God, there's freedom to be who I want to be. But with God, life is an endless cycle of guilt and shame. Without God, everything is fine. It is ridiculous to think I am in need of saving. And that's how I felt before Christ opened my eyes, changed my heart, and reversed my thinking. I am lost and in need of saving. It is ridiculous to think everything is fine without God. Life is an endless cycle of guilt and shame. But with God, there is freedom to be who I want to be. In a world with no God, our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. The more you have, the happier you will be, is a lie meant to make me a slave to those in power. Because of sin, I am deserving of hell. The idea that people can do as they please without eternal consequences is only wishful thinking. It is a comforting thought, however, that an all-powerful God brings purpose to the pain and suffering in the world, that there is an all-knowing God with a cosmic plan. It's foolish to think God does not exist. I will live my life according to these beliefs. Anybody remember the day when you used to think that way? The first time? Something came along. Somebody intervened and reversed your thinking. Sunday, I thought this was kind of interesting how God, God ties this all together. Um, we saw that why has God had us as a church go through Bible prophecy so much, so recently? Not just to remind us and encourage us that Jesus Christ is coming back, which is good news. That's very encouraging in this messed up world, amen? But it's also to motivate us to realize that time is short. How much suffering and pain could people avoid if we would get their own time and share the gospel? Why is it, how many churches do you know? And I'm not saying this to boast, but why, it's God's plan. It's his sovereignty. How many churches do you know that have gone through 42 weeks of creation versus evolution in in-depth study? So you need to ask yourself, why God have you invested not only prophecy, but creation versus evolution? 42 weeks for we here at Sunrise. Why? I'm convinced because he wants us to do that. Because the world has got the tape going in the wrong direction because of the live evolution. It can be reversed, but they're not going to get it in the school. They're not going to get it in the magazines, in the history channel, the media, none of that. You and I are it. 
And we had the privilege to share what we've learned for 42 weeks and reverse their thinking before it's too late. Amen? Let's be that church that gets there on time and reverses people's thinking. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem.
Here's the good news. God so loved the world that He sent His one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in Him, what He did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but He will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. 
thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.